Let's go to Philippians chapter 3 and verse 12. And I'm going to read verse 12 all the way through verse 16. If you have your Bibles, read along with me. God's Word says, Not that I have already obtained this or am already perfect, but I press on to make it my own because Christ Jesus has made me His own. Now that's good. Let me read that one more time. Not that I have already obtained this or am already perfect, but I press on to make it my own because, here's the motivation, because Christ Jesus has made me His own. Brothers, I do not consider that I have made it my own, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Let those of us who are mature think this way. And if in anything you think otherwise, God will reveal that also to you. Only let us hold true to what we have attained. Here we find an amazing passage of Scripture to where the Apostle Paul, under house arrest, turns the corner from the beginning of chapter 3 all the way through verse 11. The Apostle Paul in those verses unpacks serious heavy-duty stuff. Like in verse 7, look at it with me. But whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. In other words, he's saying, guys, I'm putting all of my cards on the table. You can take everything that I have, everything that I've earned, everything that I could ever attain, and you could lay that on the altar of Jesus Christ, and it doesn't even scratch the surface. He goes a step further, and he says over in verse uh, number 8, that all of those things that he has gained in his life, all of the things that people would give you the thumbs up, all of the blue ribbons that you won as a kid, Anybody remember those? Are y'all awake this morning? Alright, and you're just so proud of it, and later you realize it's not really that big of a deal. I remember I got a pennant from ski school. The little kids, and I kept that. I may still have it somewhere. But we, we, we gained these, these things, and the Apostle Paul said, put all of those in comparison to Christ, not only do they not equal Him, but they are like refuge. They are like sewage. They are like the steaming pile that the dog leaves in your yard. If that's too grotesque for you, remember the week before last. The actual word in the Greek New Testament, and this is in the Greek lexicon, that the Apostle Paul uses... This is this this rocks church people. Religious people, they're going to have a knee jerk. So if you're sitting behind a religious person, don't lean forward uh, because they're going to headbutt you. All right? Behind. The word in the Greek lexicon is C-R-A-P. That is a strong, strong word. Now that's not Jeff just trying to be a shot jock this morning. That's the metaphor of everything compared to Jesus. He doesn't just say, well, it's not worth Jesus. He's like, it's this compared to Him. That's powerful stuff. So then he gives all of this awesome sermon material. And then in verse 12, it's kind of like, turns the corner, puts on the brace. He says, not that I have already obtained this or I'm already perfect. You know what he's doing? He's saying, guys, let's take a look at the past. And, and I, I, I enjoy thinking about the past sometimes, don't you? 
You know, when you talk to some people, maybe they're uh, people that like to talk about the good old days. You ever heard anybody talk about the good old days? And the good old days are back then and things were better and gas was, you know, five cents a gallon and things were... And by the way, there are some things in the past that are better than they are now. And there are some things that are better now than they were then. But the Apostle Paul says the way that you move past the past... I want you to grab a hold of this. This is the sermon in a sentence. To move past the past... You must pursue the one who controls the future and also forgives the past. We tracking with each other? Alright? In order for us to move past painful regrets, things that we wish never happened, things that when we try to serve Jesus Christ, they kind of resurface from time to time. It kind of comes out of nowhere. Something that you even forgot that you did for weeks or a month. And the devil will bring that up. Well, just remember, it comes out of nowhere. And all of a sudden, we begin to live in the past. In order for us to move past that and serve Christ with effectiveness, we have to, we have to move past the past by allowing ourselves to be controlled by the one who controls the future. And he also forgives the past. Now, I had the great opportunity um, this past Wednesday with my family to go to the flea market in Pickens, South Carolina, the apex of culture. Any of y'all flea market people? I love I love the flea market. I passed by one guy and, and he had some cassette tapes there. And this is the only probably the only place you can find cassette tapes now, that and, and Goodwill. And the guy said, How much for this cassette tape? He said, two dollars. Now, if you were a cassette tape connoisseur, you know that that is about four times too much, right? And so the guy said, well, what about uh, 50 cents a piece? The guy said, no, this is good stuff. Maybe, but it's a cassette tape. So the guys kind of walk, walk further. And I, I walked up next to him. And I said, I overheard that. I said, it's a little much for cassette tape. Here's what he said. Man, that guy's living in the past. Bro, you think you can get $2 for a cassette tape? I don't know if you could get that if it had Elvis spit on it. You know what I'm talking about? Like it's just, it's just not going for top dollar anymore. But it was interesting to me that you, you have some people today and they live in the past. If you've ever seen the, the, the movie, uh, and I know I'm going to lose half of you on this, Napoleon Dynamite. You know that Uncle Rico lives in the past. He's this guy who, who continually plays this tape of being able to make it to the state finals in his football game in high school. And he's like in his, I don't know, late 30s, early 40s. And most of us are like, bro, move on, right? Have you known somebody like that? Something has happened in the past. Something that's not funny. Something that's way more serious than an Uncle Rico football pass or a cassette tape for two bucks. It's something that they wish, if they could go back in time, they would scream out to themselves, Stop! Don't do it! And to this day, even though they've come to that place of repentance and they've followed Jesus Christ, they are living... In the past, because every time they try to progress and serve Jesus Christ, it's like the chains of that old memory pull them down into that quicksand of guilt. In order to move past the past, here's what you must do. Number one, you must be truly saved. What that means is very simple. It means that you come to the place in your life to where you realize that if God ended your life, and by the way, it is God's prerogative when life ends... Do you know that none of us are guaranteed 80 years of good health? 
No amens. In America, we think that people in the third world, 40, 50 years tops, that's understandable. But you see, I'm an American. I have insurance. I have food that I can eat. I have a doctor that I know. If I get ill, if my health declines before what I think I deserve, then my faith is on the rocks, when in reality we don't deserve anything other than hell. Aren't you glad you came to church this morning? Is that encouraging? Right. Welcome to church. You deserve hell, right? But because God has given us grace, because He has given us mercy, it is that place in our lives where we say, Jesus, You have forgiven me. Now, Now, go with me on this thought. If you are not forgiven by God, there is no ground to forgive yourself. Just, just think about this. If God has not forgiven you, ultimately, you are not forgiven. Every sin, every deed that you have ever done, every shameful act of darkness, as the Apostle Paul talks about, all of that will come crashing onto you on the day of judgment. Things that your husband and your wife, your parents, your friends, your brothers and sisters, co-workers, never even can see that you could be even capable of considering you've done those things time and time again. If you've not been saved, all of that will come crashing down on you on judgment day, and there will be no recourse, and God will justly give you your sentence, which is everlasting hell, away from the presence of God, and it is torture forever and ever. It is what we deserve. If you've never been saved, then you cannot forgive yourself. You see, the secular world says you've got to forgive yourself, but I can't forgive myself if my conscience tells me deep down I am not forgiven. You see, our conscience, we can only, we can only mangle it to a certain point, can't we? We can only manipulate it to a certain degree. And if I know that I have no peace with God, if I know that I'm not really right with God inside my heart, then I cannot forgive myself. But here's the good news. When you get saved and Jesus Christ changes your heart from the inside out, you know that you have been forgiven by the Almighty God of the universe, the God who created everything for nothing, the God who sent His Son into the world, the God who through Jesus Christ fulfilled all of His own law. He was there on the cross. He was suffering. He was bleeding. And yet He gave all of that for you. And one day you heard the Gospel message and He opened your heart to the Gospel. You responded in faith and repentance and you were changed. And when you were changed, you were a hundred percent forgiven. Not just forgiven for things that you had done before or that moment, but you're forgiven absolutely and totally. He adopts you into His family. He tells you what you've done in your past, I've taken care of that. What you're going to do in your future, I've taken care of that. You're not in because you're good. You're in because I'm good and I love you. You see, that's the Gospel. And when you get that, you can begin the road to say, if I am forgiven, in the total sense, then I can look at myself and say, how can I hold myself to a higher standard than God holds me to? I've done things that are bad, yes. I have baggage, yes. But if Jesus says that His grace forgives, if the blood of Jesus, as the Bible says, truly cleanses from all sin, then if He says I'm forgiven, then help me out, church. I am what? I'm forgiven. So if you are you're struggling with these things this morning, the Bible, go with me to verse number 15. It's speaking about 
thinking in a mature way. We've got to think mature. Notice what it says, verse 15. Let those of us who are mature think this way, and if in anything you think otherwise, God will reveal this to you also. So a requirement, in other words, from the Bible, for moving past the past is maturity. John Chrysostom, who was an early church father, a great preacher, said this, and if you're a note taker, I would encourage you to jot it down. He says, he who thinks that he has attained everything has nothing. He who thinks that he has attained everything has nothing. John MacArthur says, great men of God have a sense of mission that expands beyond their own life. But in order for me to get plugged in with a mission that goes beyond my life, I have to come to the place to where I can move past my past. Right? If I can't move past my past, I can't really have friends, can I? Because I'm going to think that they're going to discover something about me and no longer be my friend. Think about a marriage relationship. How can a marriage relationship truly function and fire on all cylinders the way that God has designed it to work if we're still living in the past? I love that that story of the Old Testament to where Moses, he held up his arms. Remember that story? And when he held up his arms, the armies of Israel prevailed against their enemies. But when his arms got tired and they fell, Israel began to fall. So tell me, Bible scholars, what happened? Had some people there say, "I'm brother, I'm going to hold your arms up. And I believe that if you are genuinely saved and you've got deep down inside, man, you may be laid back. You may be laid back. I, I love hanging out with laid back people and fireballs both. Don't you? Just to see how different people react to things differently. I mean, you take a laid back dude. I mean, we're talking about laid back. Blood pressure about, you know, 40 over 10, something like that. I mean, we're talking about laid back. You know, and, and he's watching a football game and he basically raises his right hand. And that means he's on the verge of a heart attack. You know what I'm talking about? I mean, just so laid back. No no change in the inflection of the voice. And I, mean, I, I, I tell you what, when, when you get saved... Doesn't matter what your personality type is. Doesn't matter if you're a speaker or a singer or, or whatever you are. But you've got a desire deep down inside. Like when somebody comes forward during the invitation, you're just like, yes. And if you're lost, you'll be like, well, this is just going to put it off longer. I can't get off to eat lunch. Y'all okay? Was that too far? Or is that some truth? You've got a desire to see God work in your life and in your church and in your family, and especially in your kids and your grandkids. Some of you, if you say, man, I just didn't do it right with my kids. I'm trying to, 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 to work that back through. But I, I want to pour into my grandkids. I want to help my kids. But I want, I want to do this over again. There were years I didn't pray with my family. You've got a desire to see God work. And your desire is to come along people and say, look, I may not be a front man, a front woman, but I can help hold your arms up. Amen? I can be there to help you when you get tired. I can be there to help missions go. I can fund it through my prayers, through my encouragement, through my finances. I'm ready to serve Jesus Christ. But that involves getting past the past. Because if you don't accept what God has said that He has done for your behalf, if you've truly been saved, then every time you have a little bit of friction with somebody in the church, you're going to blow up and leave. You know why? Because there's still that circle of regret. 
inside that it's like we close up and we close in. Well, notice what the Apostle Paul says the way he deals with that. He says in verse number 13, he says, forgetting what lies behind this one thing I do. He says, I'm forgetting it and I'm straining forward. What's he straining forward for? To what lies ahead. You see, forgetting the past is so important. It doesn't mean that you just blank out your memory, but it means you're so preoccupied with the present. Well, what are we doing in the present? If you're following God here this morning, if you're being obedient in your Christian life, it means you're saying, God, I'm willing and ready to do whatever you call me to do. It means that you... And here's the thing uh, as well. If you've ever tried to help someone who is dealing with something in the past, if they are inactive, and let me define inactive, either not going to hear the Word of God at church, they're staying out of the Word of God at home, they may simply come to church and they, they, they are soaking and sitting, right? That, that's a preacherism. Y'all heard that before? Sitting and soaking, soaking and sitting. But they're not pursuing Christ. One of the best ways that you pursue Christ is you serve people. You find somebody who's just as jacked up as you are and you say, you know what, not that the people are a project, but you say, Lord, I'm going to do as much as I can to pursue you by pursuing your love and pouring it into this person or this family. And when you do that, you're no longer going to be sitting down on the couch of regret inside your mind, constantly thinking, oh, woe is me. You know why? Because you're moving and you're doing stuff. A certain brand of secular psychology, Freudian psychology, says that the way that you get past the past is you drudge up all of the stuff in the past. Well, that doesn't help at all. The way that you, the way that you get past the past is you pursue the one who controls the future. See, here's the, here's the reason why we must believe that God is sovereign. If God is sovereign, that means I can pursue Him with all my heart, my, my mind, my soul, my strength. And because He is sovereign, I can trust Him. I remember when I, I was a first youth, youth minister in, in South Carolina, and we were taking the youth uh, to a very classy event. Um, it was a flea market. It was a flea market. So, so we were going to my first time, and, and there's this guy who, he kind of, guy who liked to be in control, and he said, I know how to get there, I know how to get there. And we basically ended up in North Carolina. And after that, I said, bro, you lose your job of being direction man. Amen? You ever been on that trip and some of you ladies are like, honey, just stop and ask for directions. And he's like, I got it. Right? Like, and you're like, you know, you're in Nebraska and you were going to go to Kentucky or something like that. It's just, you know, it's like seriously. And sometimes we can get to that same place where we say, I don't trust people. I've been burned. I can't get past the past. But if we trust God, He's taking care of our salvation in the past so that we can be saved in the present, so that we can go to heaven in the future. So if He's done that, then I can trust Him with the future. Right? Because He's forgiven my past. He's going to take me to a place in the future where I need to be, and that's with Him. So not only do we have to have um, the right mindset, being mature about our faith, but we have to have the right goal. And notice in verse 12, it says, not that I have already obtained this or I'm already perfect. We have to have humility. Do you guys remember that movie, It's a Wonderful Life? That Christmas movie with... With George Bailey, I think Michael, you taught a lesson on that last year, and uh, he, it's it's the, the the quintessential picture of when the finances go down. And guys, I want you to listen to me, and ladies, I want you to listen to me so you can help out your guys. Guys, he made a fatal mistake. He confused his worth with his wealth. And any time, guys, 
we confuse our worth with our wealth, we're either going to come up on the side of arrogance or absolute despair. Neither of those are what God wants for us. And you know how the story goes. It sends a little angel clearance. It's totally messed up theology, but the point is pretty clear that your point of your life is not what you own. Jesus teaches that. Remember the, the parable that He taught about the rich man? And God blessed him. He had a big barn. He put food in the barn. And then he had more food. He said, well, what am I going to do? I'm going to tear it down and build a bigger barn. What do we do here in the United States? When God blesses us, we buy bigger and more stuff And most of the time, we don't even buy it. We just go into debt for it. Y'all okay? I just bought this truck. No, you didn't. You just got in debt. This is my... No, it's not yours. Don't you like my boat? It's not your boat. What do you mean it's not a boat? It's the bank's boat. Miss the payment. It's gone. Is that too bad? Is that too rough? You know what we did last year? We preached a four-week series on materialism and greed right before the Christmas holidays. Why? Every time you turn on the tube, every time you get the paper, it's telling you you've got to give your kids this stuff. You've got to buy yourself this stuff. And I'm just going to put this out there. I'm not a parent. I don't have kids. But based upon what godly parents have told me, people in the past, I think it would do a lot of our families good if we didn't buy our kids everything they wanted and we taught them maybe what most children around the world experience every day and that's not getting everything you want. Hello. Just a thought. Do it. All right. But the Apostle Paul says, I press on to make it my own. The question for us is, what are we pursuing in our life? What are we pursuing? I love the picture here. It's the picture of a runner, and the commentaries will tell you, the picture of a runner that is pursuing a goal. A runner that's pursuing a mark. I love watching the Olympics. How many of y'all watched the Olympics this last round? It wasn't, I mean, it's awesome, and you you watch the people running. I don't know about you, but I didn't see any runner um, from any country or on the planet who, who was running the whole time, Looking behind them. Did y'all see that? You're not going to be able to get the the full swing. You're not going to be able to get the pop from your arms and your legs. It's a disastrous plan for running. So the Apostle Paul says, in order for me to follow what Christ has for my future, in order for you here this morning to follow God in daily obedience in your job and with your family, it involves not being preoccupied with what Christ has already forgiven. You know why some of us have such a difficult time forgiving ourselves? Here's the number one reason. And this is after you've come to understand what Christ has done for you. It's pride. And here's why it's pride. Saying, well, I can't forgive myself. But wait, God is the ultimate judge. He's the ultimate example and giver of love. And so if He has forgiven me, then why can't I forgive myself? It's because there is something satisfying about rolling around in grief, isn't it? Remember when you were a kid and your parents came through and you were pouting and they said, are you having a pity party? You're whining. You know, a little kid walks through and they got the lip all stuck out. There's something that is sinfully satisfying about wallowing around in our own shame and regret. But there's actually freedom in Jesus Christ. It is humility and determination. That's the right mindset. Charles Spurgeon said, A man who has been forgiven is anxious not to sin. 
And notice what it also says here in verse number 14. It says, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Now this is cool. Alright? So he's pressing on. What is he pressing on towards? The goal. Well, where does the goal come from? It is, it is the prize of which kind of call? Help me out, church. The upward call. So it's kind of like God is the one doing the calling. Amen? Like it's God who's calling us and it's coming from where He is. So this is a cool picture. Um, when you get called by God and you follow Him, you're going to end up where He is. Is that a good word or is that a good word? That means that when you follow the Lord, ultimately you end up in the area of blessing, in the area of peace, in the area of protection. Now, I had a friend growing up named Jeremy, and uh, you know how some of the parents, uh, I guess this is back in the days where all we really had, I sound like an old guy now, right? Um, all we had was Nintendo. Now you have games, and it's just, I mean, it's just like a movie, and I can't play any of them, you know, try to play Halo, and I like shoot a rocket launcher at my feet, and I die, and, and all that, and it's terrible, but, but we actually played, you know, outside, and so we, we play outside, and, and parents would come out, and say, it's time for dinner, right, and like call you home. Well, my friend's dad had a, had a whistle. And so we, anyway, it's interesting parental training. But when you hear a parent call a child, the child hears the voice of the parent. And if the child's been trained, if they've been whipped that day, and they're hungry too, right? You moms know that. They're hungry, they will come. And they begin to make their way back. This is the picture of God calling His children to Himself. It is a picture of Him doing the calling and the goal is the upward prize of Jesus Christ. Now, I want to say this word about churches living in the past. There, um, great professor at Southeastern Seminary there in Wake Forest, North Carolina. His name is Alvin Reed. And let me give you the statement that he made about churches and the terrible C word change. He said, I remember, I well remember being in England years ago when an evangelist told me the believers in England made a fatal mistake in earlier generations. Here's what it was. Quote, we changed our methods, our message, but not our methods. We should have changed our methods and not the message. Then Alvin Reed says, Today England is a spiritual wasteland unless you are building Islamic mosques or starting a witch coven, for these are growing in number. Here is the bottom line. If we only say to our children and grandchildren, and especially to the coming generation of young leaders for our churches, just do what we have done, only a little better, we have failed. Things must change. And what is he speaking of? He's speaking of very simply, the British church said we're going to compromise on the Bible, but we're going to still do church the old school way. And today in England, it is, as he said, a spiritual wasteland. Many churches in the U.S., uh, Southern Baptist churches have said, you know what, we don't compromise on the Bible. This is God's Word. And we don't compromise on it, not because we're mean, but because we love people. Amen, church? This is God's Word. And if we truly love people, we will teach it as it was meant to be taught. But the scary thing is that in churches that are designed by the Lord to reach people of this generation, there is always to some degree kickback if there's any change. Have you seen that before in your church experience? It doesn't matter if we... Now the other week we had one of these chairs not here. And guess what we had? No complaints. Amen? 
if you're not a member here, this is a, we are a weird church. You know why? Because the Lord, not because I don't think of any gift of our own has given us the spirit of unity. I believe, as best I know my heart in talking to all of us together and collectively and individually, that it is our desire to reach Rocky Mount, reach Franklin County, reach people from the surrounding areas for the glory of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And what that sometimes requires is change. And we always ask ourselves the question, as followers of Christ, am I more comfortable about, am I more concerned about my comfortability or am I more concerned about people coming to know Jesus Christ? And if we are more concerned with, our, with people coming to know Jesus Christ, it means that if there's a song that doesn't exactly click with our clicker, we're okay. It means that if, you know, the, the dress or, or whatever, the way that we do things doesn't exactly uh, fit with the way that we've always understood them, that's alright because it's not about us. And we know, church, that there's freedom in the fact that it doesn't have to be about us. Isn't that good? That it, if, if it has to be about us, even if it's all good, well, that's the way it should be. And there's no joy in that at all. But when it doesn't have to be about us, it is freedom through and in Jesus Christ. There's a statement from a commentary. And it says this, The condition for future enlightenment is to walk according to present light. That's what the Apostle Paul is saying. He's saying, you know what? I've not arrived. I'm not perfect. I've not come to that place to where I say, I've got it all together. And by the way, the people who think that they've got it all together are the most messed up ones and they don't even know it. You know the way that you reveal your true commitment towards Jesus Christ is whenever you open up His Word, whenever you come and you sit in a church service like this on a Sunday morning, you, if you, you know, sometimes people are wanting to come and talk, but if you get that moment, that quiet moment with yourself, and you understand that there are so many people that would love to come and hear the Word of God, to shake somebody's hand, to give them a hug, to speak a word of encouragement, to pray for someone, to give to missions, to give to the ministry of this church, but they can't because their health has is, is hit the bottom. You know that there are so many people around the world that are, are wondering, is there any point in life that they've not had anybody share the gospel with them? So the fact that you through the sovereign purposes of God, are able to come into a place that is filled with loving people and where the Bible is read and taught and explained and where praises are given to God, that humbles you. And when you open up God's Word at home and you realize that you have what people have died for, bloody pages, the English Bible, people were killed by the thousands just trying to spread it in the English language. And you realize that you have the Word of God and you realize that He can speak to you. And then when you open up your heart in prayer to Him out of that thankfulness, you realize how far apart you are from Him. You realize how holy He is and how wretched you are. That is on the path to maturity. It is when we see the great gulf between God and ourselves that humbles us so that we can look at other people who are far from God, and people who may even be saved but are not acting like it. And we can have mercy upon them. Maturity recognizes, I have a long way to go. Biblical immaturity and sin is saying I've got it all together. 